0: Welcome to this week's Rashi sheer brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, we join again uh, to learn Rashi, and we are in Perak yud Zion and we're up to Pasuk Yud-Allah, and we're talking about the Brit Milah. So, Avraham has been commanded to... Um, perform his part of the Brit. Last week we learned really about Hashem's side of the Brit, that Hashem would be to Abraham as a god, and Hashem would give to Abraham and his descendants Eretz Mukurecha, the Kol Eretz Canaan, and now <clears throat> in Pasuk Yud, it sort of introduced Abraham's side of the bargain, uh, which included at the end of Pasuk Yud, Himol Lachem Kol Zachar. Rashi said Himol is a, an infinitive that there should be I'm roughly translating it as a state of being for all of your males to be circumcised. And then we go on to Pasuk Yud'Alam. Unamaltem et basar alatchem. So I'll leave unamaltem untranslated. It's something to do with circumcision. The basar, the flesh of your orla. brit beini And it will be as a sign for the brit between me and between you. And what is unamaltem? <clears throat> so we have a grammatical Rashi, which says, unamaltem, kamo umaltem. It's the same as umaltem. As he will explain, the nun drops out. And umaltem means you will circumcise. And Rashi says, hanun bo yatera liasot. The nun is extra to the foundation. hanofel bo leparakim. And it falls out at times. So it is part of the sharash. The sharash is nun mem lamad. But sometimes the nun disappears. And you're just left with a two-letter root of mem lamad. And he says this happens in other cases. nun shel noshech. The nun of noshech, which literally means to bite. But we find as lo tasich et you shall not literally bite. in other words, take interest, that's how it's, on, uh, that's the, which how it's used, from your fellow. And so tasich is the same root as noshech, but the nuns dropped out. But nun shall the nun of nosheh, to carry, to bear, um, also drops out. Uh, like uh, vayisa, they journeyed, sorry, they journeyed. So it's the same root, samach aleph, but the um, nun has dropped out. So here, unamaltem kamo vanasatem. So it's the same structure as vanasatem with the nun for the nun samaf aleph. Sometimes you have the nun and sometimes you don't have the nun. So it's not a nifal, which it might look like, because a nun normally sounds like a nifal. Says Rashi, it's not a nifal, perhaps because if it were, it would need a chirik under the nun. It would be nimaltem, and it's not nimaltem. But Rashi says it's not a uh, nifal it doesn't mean you latchem uh, shall be circumcised, but rather it's a kal. It's the equivalent of umaltem. You shall circumcise, and then Rashi says aval yimol. But the word yimol, which we're going to have in the next pasuk, that is lashon yitpael. That is he calls it yitpael, but it's a passive. It's like a nifal. and yeachel. Um, with the Yud at the front in making it a passive form. say it is done. Yehachel, it is eaten. Yimol, it is circumcised. So that's what Rashi has to say on Pasuk Yud Aleph to tell you that unamaltem, don't be confused by the nun, don't think it's a nifal, it's a kal, and it's exactly the same as unamaltem. And then we go into Pasuk Yud Bet, where it says, uben shmonat yamim, and when he is eight days old, Yimol Lachem So Yimol we now know is a passive. All males to you will be circumcised. Ludorotechem, through your generations. Yalid bayit u Mikhnat kesef. So Yalid bayit is born in the house. Miknat Kesev is bought with money. Mikol ben Nechar, from all uh, strangers, i.e. non-Jews, Asher Lo mizaracha u who is not from your descendants. So there's Yalid Bayit, and there's Miknat Kesef, and they come from Ben Nechar, a from, shaloy from non-Jewish sources. And I'll mention, I think we'll say at the same time, Pasuk Yud Gimel, uh, because Pasuk Yud Gimel seems to repeat a lot of Pasuk Yud Bet. Himol yimol, you shall surely circumcise, Yalid Beit U um Miknat Kaspercha. Again, just like we had Yalid Bayat, we now have Yalid Beitcha, the born in your house, and bought with your money. And then it says, And the, my covenant will be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. So in Yud Bet, Rashi is going to tell us what is Yalid Bayat and what is Miknat Kesef. Now, this all gets a bit technical. And one of the reasons I wanted to do Yud Gimel as well, because at the very end of Yud Gimel, uh, Rashi says, So the details which he's briefly discussing, you can find in greater detail in the Shabbat. Uh, and I think Rashi says that because it, it's going to get a little bit technical. So going back to the beginning of Rashi on Yud Bet. So, what is the difference between Yalid Bayit and Miknat Kesef? Now, Yalid Bayit, Miknat Kesef, you might think, is um, bought, i.e., a non Jewish person bought as a slave. And Yalid Bayet, you might think, is born as part of your household. Well, it is, but Yalid Bayet is also included in Mekobanen Ben nechar, from all strangers. So Yalid Bayet is also somebody not Jewish, but is, uh, has a, an Eved connection, or Shivcha connection to the household. Okay, as Rashi, now let's see what she says, after I've given enough introduction. Yalid Bayet, she Yaldato HaShivcha or another, another textual variant says that the shivcha gave birth to him in the house or in your house. Now, um, following art scroll anyway, it doesn't mean literally in the house. It means as part of your household. So if you have a shivcha, a maidservant, I don't like the translation of slave, but let's just use it so we know what we're talking about. So if you have a woman who is a slave, who is therefore your property, not Jewish, but the status of a slave, which is semi-Jewish, because they do certain mitzvot, and if she gives birth, that is yalid by it, and that is circumcised, and that comes under the rubric at the beginning of the Passover, of ben shimon at yomim, it's circumcised at eight days. And then miknat kesev, shakana o mishan Now, uh, it's very hard to read this, these two words literally, that has been bought when it's already been born, because if it's already been born, then it's not circumcised at eight days. So the way that uh, those words of Rashi is read is that you bought a shivcha when she was pregnant and then she gave birth. So a Yolid buy is a shivcha who, the whole pregnancy was under your, if you like, under your authority. And a miknat kesev is when you buy a shivcha when she's already pregnant. Now I know that's a little bit hard to read into the words of Rashi, but you simply have to say that. Because halakhically, if you buy a already born male, then they're circumcised straight away, as we will see in the next passage. So Yalid Bayet is somebody, uh, a shivcha, who gets pregnant and gives birth to a son. He is circumcised at eight days. Umiknat kesef, and somebody who is born, when, when the shivcha is bought, already pregnant, and then she gives birth, that's also circumcised at eight days. Why do I stress eight days? Because that's the difference between Yudbet and Yudgimel. Yudbet talks about two cases, Ben Shmonat Yomim Yimol Lachem. And Yudgimel talks about two cases, but not at Ben Shmonat Yomim. So Rashi says on Yudgimel, Yimol um, Yomol Beitcha, says Rashi, Kan kafel olav, Velo ama yomim. So, Here, it doubles it, and it doesn't say for eight days. It doubles it by repeating the yalid bayit u'mikmat kesef, but these two cases of yalid bayit u'mikmat kesef are not circumcised at eight days. As Rashi says, yalid bayit nimol le'echad. To tell you that there are those who are born who are circumcised on the first day, on the day of their birth. Now I don't know what your texts have got, but there are variant texts which say instead of le'echad, uh, but rather la'achar shmonat yamim. They're circumcised after eight days. That is wrong, because there is no uh, case where somebody circumcised dafka after eight days, unless it's a baby who's not well. But that's not what we're talk- talking about. So now Rashi has to explain, or uh, the two. Well, so Rashi refers to two cases. Which are circumcised on the day of their birth. Rashi doesn't spell it out. He just concludes, as we saw earlier, with Kemosh HaMafurash HaMasechet Shabbat, as is explained in Masechet Shabbat. So if you want to find out exactly what these cases are, go and look in Masechet Shabbat, Darf he, bet, and there it will say that a Yalid Bayit is one who was uh, a very, very strange case. If you bought a shivcha, you bought a maidservant just for her um, uh, embryo, just for the one she's going to give birth, but you didn't actually buy her. So you bought her womb, as it were. Or, equally curious case, you bought her, but not the shame avdut, not the shame gerut, and not the same avdut. So I'm not quite sure what's left. You bought her as a very, very sort of peripheral, distant status, and but when she gives birth, the child belongs to the owner, but that is not born to a Jewish person, and it's not even born to a semi-Jewish person like a shivcha, um, because either you didn't buy the shivcha at all, or you bought her but not the shame of and therefore, since the birth has basically no connection, no parallel to a Jewish birth, that is not circumcised at eight days, but rather circumcised on the day of birth, and that's what Rashi says, look there in second Shabbat. Okay. Then he says on Pasit Yodal The Aral Zakhar a shaloy mol et basar and a uh, the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised the flesh of his orala, the nifrata ha shahime meha, and that soul will be cut off from its people et Briti Hefar. My covenant, he has voided. So a uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his orla suffers the penalty of karate. There are, by the way, there are 36 negative transgressions that if you, don't, if you transgress them, you get karate. Rashi will explain what karate is, so I'm not going to spell that out now. But there are two uh, positive mitzvot that if you don't fulfill, you get Korayt. One is not bringing a korban Pesach, and the other is not circumcising oneself. Interestingly, there's a lot of interplay between those two mitzvot, and the most obvious connection is somebody who is an arel who is not circumcised cannot bring a korban Pesach. The other thing is they both involve blood, and they're compared, uh, as we talk about uh, the Yetzirah mitzvah and we mentioned this in the Haggadah, they are the two mitzvot involving blood which were given to Kali Israel on the the verge of them becoming a nation. So there's a lot of interplay between them, but it's certainly interesting that technically they're the only two mitzvot, positive mitzvot, for which the non-fulfillment gets correct. And one of them is learned from this passage here. But the first thing Rashi says is on the words, va'arel zachar, says Va Rashi on arel zachar, the oral, orla of a male, kan limad she'hamila Oto mokom she'hu nikar here it teaches, but the mila is in that part of the body where there is a distinction between male and female, and that's why it says orel zachar. Now, first of all, why does Rashi have to say this? Because we've already been told, actually, quite a few times, that mila is removing the orla. So we don't need to be told again that orla. If the orla hasn't been removed, you haven't done mila. So what is added by Aurel Zakhar? And the answer is Rashi's telling us, it tells us that the orla is something unique to males and something that females don't have. So that's how we know what the orla is. Now, it's, 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 I think, a little difficult approaching this, Rashi, because everyone knows what an orla is. We say to Rashi, why on earth do you have to tell us that it's that part of the male body? And the answer is because we don't necessarily know what an orla is. Orla is a word that occurs a few times in the Khamish. It refers to fruit in its first three years. What's that got to do with Brit Mila? But also, more explicitly, there is a reference to circumcising another orla in the body. Where is that? Orel hmm? else uh, I wasn't thinking of that one. Um, means closed lips. But, ah, very good. So in the future, uh, in Devarim Perik Lamed, we're told that Hashem will circumcise Orla Levavachem, the Orla of your heart. Now, you can say, well, that's obviously a metaphor. We all know what the Orla is. Orla Levavachem must be metaphorical. Or maybe not. Maybe we simply don't know what, what part of the body is referred to by Orla. And Rashi says, we learn it from here, that it's that part of the body that distinguishes between male and female. And that's why it says, orel Zachar. Then, uh, on the words Asher lo yimol, so the passage goes to say, if you haven't been circumcised, then you're going to get koras. Says Rashi, sorry, Asher When you reach the uh, to be included in punishments, benichrata, and then you get koras. So, what is the age which you're included in punishment? So we know from elsewhere, it's the age of twenty. A katan, a child up to the age of 20, does not get punished for not having been circumcised. Why, am I, why do we need to be told this? Why does Rashi spell this out? It's not even basic, it's not, uh, answering a question in the past, per se. But since the obligation to be circumcised starts when? At eight days. You might have thought that from day eight onwards, if the child hasn't been circumcised, the child himself is liable and subject to chorus every day, but they don't get circumcised. So Rashi wants to tell us that's not the case, and therefore he tells us it only applies once you reach the on onshin, you're included in being punished. And then he says v'nikrata, then you will get choris. And then he says, aval ava aviv ein oneshalav but the father who does not circumcise their son, they don't get punished with chorus. aval over ba'ase. But they've transgressed an asse. They've transgressed a positive mitzvah. But choras, as you see from the pasuk is Asher yimol et Basar Lato ha nefesh hahi. It's referring to the person who has not been circumcised, that person will get chorus. It does not say the person who does not circumcise his son will get chorus. And Rashi tells us clearly that the person who has not circumcised his son. He's done something wrong. He's transgressed a mitzvah, I How do we know it's a mitzvah? Um, well, the mitzvah of Mila is taught in Parshat Tazria, and that's really where it appears as one of the Tariyag mitzvahs. But it also, um, we learn here, in Perikav Aleph, uh, Pasek Dalad, V'yimal Avrahamid Yitzchak, Beno ben Amim, Ka'asher tziva oto elokim. Abraham circumcised Yitzchak his son when he was eight days old. Ka'asher tziva oto elokim. That's Perakav of Pasik And where it says explicitly, it uses the word siva, which it doesn't actually use in this episode here, but there it says Hashem commanded him. So we know from that it's a mitzvah. Even though it was a mitzvah for Abraham, when he uses the word siva, the Gemara says, we learn from that, but it's a mitzvah for every generation. So, it's to circumcise one's son is a mitzvah asay, a positive mitzvah. And if one doesn't circumcise one's son, one has transgressed a positive mitzvah. However, if one is in a state of not having been circumcised and one reaches the klal onshin, being included in punishment at the age of 20, then one gets korate. What does korate mean? That's the last piece of the puzzle that Rashi's going to spell out for us. And he says, Venichratah Hanefesh, Holech Ariri one goes childless, umate kodem zamano, and dies before one's time. So kores, which we're told many times is a punishment for certain sins. Rashi here and elsewhere, uh, for instance, vayikra perak kaf basa kaf, tells us, well, there he's talking about the word ariri, and he says ariri means to have no children or to die early. Here he says the same on the word kores, and he says it elsewhere as well. What does koresh actually mean? Koresh actually is translated as to be cut off. So having no children is like one's own progeny is cut off, and dying early, Shalom, is also being cut off. Now, there is an interesting question here. There's a machloka between the Rambam and the Raivad um, about when one is liable for um, the sin of not being circumcised. So the Rambam says, you're only actually liable at the end of your life. In other words, how long have you got to fix this up, to circumcise yourself? You've got your entire life. If, however, by the end of your entire life, you haven't um, circumcised yourself, then you're liable. The Raiver says no. Every single day you are liable. Every single day that you don't circumcise yourself, then you are incurring a penalty of kares. Now... In order to understand this, we have to understand two different views on what kores means, because there's, there's, it's, it's really a famous conundrum. How can you be punished by dying early for a sin that is, means you haven't done something during your lifetime? If the sin is you don't circumcise yourself during your lifetime, then it's like not fair to reduce the lifetime before the end of the lifetime. So we see that Rashi is holding like the river. Rashi says, your punishment will be dying early, because Rashi says that every day that you're not circumcised, you're incurring a penalty. And therefore, you might be punished by Kasvasholem dying early. Had he held like the Rambam, he wouldn't have said that kares includes mate uh, zmano, because the Rambam says you can't be held liable for, you can't be punished. For not circumcising yourself until the very end of your ordained, your your your, your pre-arranged life. Um, but if Rashi says that you're going to be punished by ending your life earlier, that must mean you're already liable. Which means, like the raven, you're liable every day that you don't circumcise yourself.
1: Yes. One, the I'm after twenty, after twenty as well. I think
0: so. I don't know exactly if he says those words, but I think so. Yeah.
1: One the, I, I think Karat was more about a kind of spiritual position. Right here, Rashi doesn't make anything. It's all about the current Karat rather than Alam which I think I've often associated Karat with Karat. But Rashi doesn't mention anything. It's all about...
0: I well. don't think he does. Um, he mentions Karat in a few places. And to my recollection, mm-hmm. he doesn't talk about Ulamabba. Interesting. No, It's, it's, it's these two things. It's, 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 it's Yeah. Okay. So that takes us to the end of that section. Uh, Hashem has given the, the precise details of the Mitzvah, or some of the details anyway. And now we go back to talking to Abraham about him and his family and his destiny. Pasuk Tet Trying to pronounce the muphics in the hay. Uh, and it's not a
1: Dagesh, it's a muphic, by the way. The difference.
0: Um... Elohim said to Abraham, Sarai, your wife, do not call her name Sarai, but Sarah is her name. What's the significance of that? So Rashi says, Sarai, damashma Sarī li bilola acheren, that it's my princess or my female version of a minister and not it's for me and it's not for others. Ki Sarah stam shama but Sara, Rashi's Rash, Rash actually taking the words of the Pasa, ki, Sarah Shama. but he adds the word stam to stress that Sarah is without a, um, a uh, suffix. Sara just means, let's call it princess, or let's call it minister, she is the minister of everywhere. So it parallels very much the change from Avram to Avraham. Avram, as we learned last week, means father of Aram, And Avraham means Av Hamon Goyim, the father of many nations. Sarai means my minister, to have limited authority. And Sarah Stam, Sarah without any suffix, means a minister, which means I'll call on everyone. Now, um, the question came up last week, how exactly does Avraham activate, actualize his fatherhood? And I suggested it's through the process of Geirut, of um, spreading his influence, not just to Aram, where he was originally, but to the whole world and telling them about Hashem and possibly converting them to become followers of Hashem. And it would be, it would imply, it would seem, but it's the same with Sarai, which is of a limited jurisdiction, if you like, to Sarah, which she is now, Um, has some sort of authority over everyone, and she also is able to influence everyone. Okay, the Pasuk continues to talk about Sarah, that now being her name. Pasuk Ted Zayin. ota, I will bless her, Vegam natati mimena l'cha ben, and i have also given from her to you a son in other words you will have a son from sarah uberachtiha and i will bless her and she will be for nations kings of peoples from her there will be now how many things are promised in this verse first hashem says uberachti Ota. Then he says begam natati mena lacha ben and then he says uberachtiha and I will bless her. So one of the things that Rashi is going to have to explain is what are the two blessings and do they include giving her a son or is that something separate? So Rashi says uberachti ota, uma hi ha-bracha shachazra aruta what is the bracha? that she returned to her youth. Shne'emar, as it says, in Peruk Yurchet, Pasuk Bet, sorry, Haita Li Edna. If you look there, it's not very far away, it's very next Perak. Peruk. So Sarah overhears the prophecy from the Malach that she's going to have a son. In Pasuk Yurbet, actually let's learn this now because it's going to be relevant quite soon. But Titzchak Sarah, Sarah laughed, within her. Leymar saying, Acharei Baloti, After I am worn out, haitali edna, will I have translated as smooth skin. In other words, how can it be that I'm old, I'm 90 years old, I'm well past um, my reproductive years, which by the way, she never had because she was barren. And can it be that I will have edna, young skin? Can it be that I will return to youth and be able to have a child? And Rashi also says there in Perek Yudchet, that part of the miracle was that she returned to the um, because she started menstruating again at the age of 90 to show that she was ready to have a child. So it says Rashi, that is what is meant, by in other words, it's the precursor to having a child. It does not mean, that is not the bracha. Now, I would say Rashi says that is not the bracha, Perhaps for two reasons. One is because it's not a bracha, it's actually natural that most people are able to have children. That's not a miracle, that's not a special bracha. But I think actually a better answer to why Rashi thinks Beirachti Ota is not Natati ben, a better answer and a more obvious answer is because of the word Vegan. Vegan means there's two things: there's Beirachti Ota, and there's also Vegan Natati ben. So Rashi doesn't actually say anything about because uh, uh, there's not much to say. But he, what Rashi does need to do is to tell us what means and then to tell us what means because we need to know what's the two different blessings. So the first blessing is the miraculous return to her youth, to her fertility, which is the essential precursor of what comes next in the Pesach, namely she has a son. And then says Rashi with the suckling of her breasts. So there's a story, there's a midrash, which Rashi now brings. And Rashi says, this is what is meant I gave her the um, miraculous ability to suckle lots of children. In the following instance, when it was necessary for her to do this, on the day of the feast of Yitzhak, which is referring to the day that Abraham made a feast for Yitzhak when he was weaned, um, which would have been, which was, uh, I think, when when he was two years old. That people were making accusations against them. That they found a foundling in the marketplace. And they said, he is our son. And what happened was, so let me just pause for a minute. So um, at the beginning of Toldot, we uh, are told a different type of accusation that uh, people thought that um, Yitzchak was Sarah's son, but not Avraham's son. They thought that uh, Sarah became pregnant from Abimelech. So there at the beginning of Toldot, Rashi says that Hashem made Yitzchak's face Looked the same as Abraham's face, so everyone would know he was Abraham's son. The reason I mention that is because this is like a different version of a similar accusation. But on this occasion, um, people scoffed and they looked at Abraham, 100 years old, and Sarah, 90 years old, and they said they can't have a son. They found a foundling, and they pretended that it's their son. So then, what happened? Sorry, why? Why, why do we find in the midrash this accusation? And the answer, perhaps, is that why does Abraham want a son so much? Why has that been such an important theme of the last three parakim, in a sense? First, uh, at the Britman of Atarim, Abraham says, you, you're giving me nothing because I don't have a son. And then we have the birth of Ishmael, and now we have the promise of the birth of Yitzchak, because it is so important for Abraham to carry on his mission through his own descendants. It's all very well teaching lots of people about God, which Abraham did, but it's so important for him to have an heir, a biological heir, who will carry on his mission. And that which was so important to Abraham was in the reverse sense so important for the scoffers of the generation to disprove. So, therefore, at the beginning of Tolda, they said, All right, we accept his Sarah's son, but we reject the idea that Abraham has a son. Here in Lecha, we're told, well, it's referring to what happens in the next parasha that they reject the idea that either of them are able to be the biological parents of this child. Okay, so what did Hashem do to disprove that? And what he did was well, what happened at the Mishta? So Abraham invites all the big machers of the time, and all the women brought their baby boys, boys, baby children with them, and all and they didn't bring the wet nurse. Presumably, they were sort of aristocratic, aristocratic people who didn't nurse their children themselves. They had wet nurses for the occasion, and they deliberately didn't bring the wet nurse to the Mishter for Yitzchak. And what happened? The He et Kulam. And she, Sarah, was able to suckle all of them. That's what it says when Sarah says, Hey, banim Sarah. Can Sarah be the sakla of children? Now, she says that when she gives birth to Yitzchak. And the Midrash, and Rashi quotes it here, saying there's a problem with that simple interpretation of hey, banim Sarah. Sarah is talking about herself as the sakla of children, plural. If she's only had one child, it should be hey, ben Sarah. So, what does Banim Sarah mean? It means Sarah, there was an occasion when Sarah suckled lots of children. And that's why the Midrash said, or rather the way Rashi quotes it, uh, is that the, on this occasion, the uh, aristocratic women did, brought all their babies and Sarah miraculously was able to nurse all of them. And then Rashi says, Rabba, Ramzo Bamiktat. In Rashi Rabbah, it's alluded to partially. In fact, this incident, what he's described, is uh, referred to in the Gemara. In Bereshit Rabbah it's not actually mentioned. What is mentioned is she had the the way um, there the phrase is interpreted as the bracha of being able to have milk herself and to suckle her own son. But Rashi doesn't accept that. And why doesn't he accept that? Well, probably because that also wouldn't be a bracha. Women who give birth generally are also able to suckle their own children. That's not a miracle. Um, and it's not a special bracha. So Rashi finds, after she's given birth, something that is a special bracha, that's an extra thing for her, and that's the story that Rashi brings. One can also go further, um, and I saw suggested the first bracha, berakti ota, and the second bracha, beraktiha. So there's a different grammatical construction. The first one says, ota is basically et, ha, um, it's something, some, he get, the Hashem gives a bracha to her, which is to gri- bring something external and give it to her. And the second one, beirachtiha, means the bracha comes from within her, because it's not otah, which is implying something distant. How does that make sense? Well, the Gemara says that not only was she infertile, she didn't have a womb. That was the nature of Sarah's disability, I suppose. And part of the bracha of becoming fertile again was she got a womb? So that's ota. Something external comes to within her. But the ability to suckle children—that comes from within her anyway. That's not Hashem giving her something, it's giving her extra power. But it's not something new that she's put into her. That's what means. Possibly. Um, another thing to say is there's a, there's a there's a there's a phrase that we haven't commented on, which actually does require some sort of explanation. It says goyim. Malche Amim She will be nations and kings of peoples will come from her. So you could say, without, if you don't want to go to the next stage, well, that refers to um, Yaakov. Sorry, yeah, Yaakov and Esau, who will be her grandchildren and will each be the founder of nations, the Jews and Edom respectively, and will each be the ancestor of kings, the Jewish kings and the Edomite kings. And that is what's referred to as And that's probably the However, we could raise a question on that Because that's already been promised to Abraham um, And if it's already been promised to Abraham Regarding the son that he's about to have And that son is going to be the son of Abraham and Sarah Then it's obvious that it's also going to be That Sarah will be And in which case, why do we need to say it again? So some want to say but there is a deeper significance and a long-lasting effect to this incident of Sarah suckling all these babies, which also answers another question. Why should Hashem do this amazing miracle just to shut up the scoffers who don't need an answer? And they're just wrong. The scoffers can say that Yitzhak wasn't the son of Abraham and Sarah. What's the big deal? They can say they're nonsense. We don't have to respond to it. Well, that's one approach where you can answer it by saying, yes, we do have to respond to it. If people are making accusation against Jewish people, we do have to respond to it. That's an interesting uh, other question, which I suppose has many ramifications for different situations. But one of the questions asked on this comment to Rashi is, why does Hashem have to give her a special bracha and a special miracle just for a one-off occasion, which is just going to shut up these scoffers who shouldn't be making accusations anyway? So someone to say this, that, uh, and not, this is certainly not a universal idea, that there are people in the world who are born non-Jewish and who convert. And where do they get their Jewish neshama from? Where do they get the kernel of Jewishness, which then develops and grows through the process of Giyon? And the answer is, they must be a descendant of one of those whom Sarah suckled. So by absorbing the milk from Sarah Imenu that generated within their ancestor which was then passed down a little bit of Jewishness. Uh, this of course raises other questions, is Jewishness nature, is it nurture, is it something intrinsic or is it something that a, a gear can learn, I don't want to get into all that but I just want to share that idea, but that answers two questions, three questions perhaps. It explains, if that if, if we can just follow that line of thinking, it explains the long-lasting significance of this incident with Sarah suckling all these children. But it wasn't just a one-off. It had a long-lasting effect. Number two, it wasn't just to answer the scoffers, who don't deserve an answer. And number three, so I said there were two points. The answer is the third question, is who are these goyim umalche amimimena me Yihyu? Sorry, um, it's a slightly different point. That uh, they, they don't have to be converts, but through the, um, suckling that sarah gives to all these babies some of them will grow up to be either kings themselves or Ancestors of nations and in that way For um, is the fulfillment. or oh, sorry is fulfilled by her giving milk to those children who get something from her Why is that a possible shot in the past? because of the order because it can't. then then we can make the connection between and so, I don't suggest that is the only push but uh, it's a possible option. Okay.
1: Uh, I mean, I yes. Question, or maybe quick. Um, I don't really understand the first brush will be said about her being, um, back to what you'd say, being able to delete the skin that we mentioned. I yes. Guess, uh, why is it, I guess if she has issues can have a baby, wouldn't that be like a natural consequence? Like, what, like what couldn't you best like you have a baby? And also a blessing that you'll be pregnant? Like, kind of seems the same. I, 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 the second thing, I was like, why did. I don't need to say, why was it, wouldn't it be obvious that she would have to suckle as well, but no, maybe someone else would suckle, she would have the baby, but another woman would suckle, but no, that blessing makes sense, with the second blessing, about her suckling, if that makes sense. The no, I'm
0: blessing. not quite with you. Try again.
1: Uh, try again, no, it's a bit of a long question. Go ahead. I, I understand, sorry, I understand the second bracha about her suckling is, 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 a, is a bracha because...
0: It's not normal to suckle lots of children.
1: Well, that, that also, By the way,
0: it's not possible to suckle lots of but, children.
1: Oh, okay. Okay? But well, my question would be like, why didn't you say that? I would have assumed
0: naturally that if she was going to
1: have a child, surely she'd be able to suckle it, but maybe you wouldn't have thought that being she was so old.
0: Yeah, no, hold on, hold on. I don't know if I'm going to answer All this. Right. I, I said, um, and the doctor or the medical student can confirm this, that a, a woman who's given birth can suckle one child, maybe at a push she can suckle two, but she can't, She doesn't have enough milk to suckle lots and lots. So, 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 so <coughs> to suckle one child, that's not a special bracha. That's the natural consequence uh, of your birth. But to cycle lots of children, that's a special bracha. Oh, so
1: that's what that's what Rashi's saying. It's specifically about the many children, not just yes. the fact that it was...
0: correct, correct. Okay. And that's why Rashi brings that whole story.
1: Okay, that makes make, make sense. Again, yeah, that adds, I guess, my question. That, that's, that is a separate bracha. But my question about the first bracha, why about having smooth skin or... What, why, Wouldn't that be like a natural consequence? If she was to have a baby, wouldn't she have to return to her youth or,
0: Well, yes, but it's a miracle.
1: Fine, but I'm saying, isn't it a miracle just the fact that, that she had a baby? Couldn't it be like, it's also... You know, how much more? Couldn't you say like... Um, you know, well, a, by being pregnant and by having a bit like, it's not obvious that if she's going to have a baby, then she obviously has to return to her youthfulness. If that makes sense, why is it a separate bracha?
0: That kind of makes sense. I, I'm not sure I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to say the way Rashi reads the passage is, I'll start in the middle. The gamna tati ben is not a bracha, and maybe it's because it's not described as a bracha. She's going to get a child, so by that stage, it's going to be a natural process, all right? Uh, uh, maybe I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking it's distinctly not described as a bracha. If you had read it as what is the bracha in it's giving her a child, then that That's would have the been the bracha. You say but Rashi says it's yeah, not and I suspect sure. because of the gum. Okay, so the gum natati ben is a natural process. Okay, but she's 90 years old and she, we've been told she's infertile. So somehow she's got to get from the 90 year old to be able to have a child. So that's why which comes first is the precursor to the natural process of having a child. Am I making sense? Yeah, I think so. So therefore the bracha, which is not the child, the bracha is the ability to have the child when she's a 90-year-old infertile woman. OK, and that's how Rashi reads it. Yes.
2: i a, like, a way to sort of ease anything, it's a blessing to in this context that, like, I will give through her like sort of I see
0: what you, of you mean the Lacha the La like, Madaq in the Lacha it's it's all related to Abraham.
2: Just because that was his earlier concern like um my son's, Do I don't have any children. Don't worry like I will bless her and also you're gonna
0: Yeah, well, it, it, well, I could go further. Um, maybe, maybe that answers your question as well. And maybe that's uh, it, it, uh, to strengthen the vagam. Uberachti otah is a special thing for Sarah. Uberachtiha is a special thing for Sarah. Vagam natati al chav. Then is a special thing for Abraham, exactly as you say. And it also occurs to me you're you're making me think. It might be related to the fact that we say that a man is in having children, a woman's not Now, obviously for Sarah, uh, she's a 90 year old woman, she has no child, she has a maternal instinct, it's a wonderful thing for her to have a child. Maybe though, since it's not the fulfillment of a mitzvah, maybe it's not a bracha for her in the way it is for Abraham. But you're absolutely right, the lacha sounds like Sarah is incidental to the process of having the child, uh, it comes from her, but it's for you. And the bracha is, uh, it, well, it's not a bracha, it, the promise is to you. You've already had a child, by the way, remember. You've already had a child from Hagar. Now you're going to have a child, Mimena, from her. And then she gets another bracha, which is the milk. Okay, then we go on to Basit Yud Zion. Vayipol Avraham al-panav, Abraham fell on his face, Vayyitzchak, and he laughed. Um, And he said in his heart, The hey is an interrogative. Rashi will talk about how we read it. Uh, Will a hundred-year-old person begat a son? And if Sarah, who is 90 years old, will she give birth? So we'll, we'll explain the interrogative bit in a moment. But let's start with so um, it's relevant to see what we saw a moment ago about Sarah's reaction when she hears the news. And let's just turn again to Yudchet Yudbet. Sarah laughed within her, saying, This is absurd. And then you'd give up. Why did Sarah laugh? And Hashem castigates Sarah, or to Abraham anyway. That's another story. Um, clearly, the laughter of Sarah was something negative. But Abraham laughs and is not given any reprimand. So why does? What's the difference between Abraham's laughing, which seems to be okay, and Sarah's laughing? Which is not okay. And even we can make the question stronger because in Pasuk Yutet, if we can just jump to there, of Alperuk Yudzain Yutet, Sarah will have a child, and you shall call his name Yitzchak. Why is he called Yitzchak? Says Rashi there on Yutet, Al Shem Hatzachok because of the laughter. So Sarah's laughter is something she's told off for. Avraham's laughter is something he's not told off for. And on the contrary, Avraham's laughter is immortalized in the name of Yitzchak. So Rashi says, We can look at Onculus, because Onculus translates the two types of laughter, differently. In this case, he says, uh, you can look at it in the Onkelos, Unafal Avraham al-Apohi Chadeh. And he, well, Rashi says, Loshan Simcha. That's an expression of joy. For Al-Sara, and on Sara, the Uncles translates Sara's laughter, Machoch, an expression of mocking, of incredulity. So Rashi turns to the Targum, who says, look how the Targum translates the two words. They're the same word in Hebrew, but they are different words in Aramaic. So Avraham rejoiced, Sarah was incredulous. Same Hebrew word, but different meaning. And therefore, says Rashi La Abraham heemin the Samach. This teaches you that Abraham believed and was joyful. The Sarah, Lo he'emina. And Sarah did not believe, belilaga and mocked. So, that's the question that Rashi asked, and that's the answer. It's interesting that you know every language has some synonyms—not synonyms, opposite. Synonyms, every language has some words which have more than one meaning when you sort of get to the nuance, and sometimes they're translated by different words in different languages, and that's exactly what we have here. And it's the two different translations in the onculus that will tell us about the different natures of the two types of laughter. Um, and then he says, barafu This is why Hashem got angry with Sarah, below hikpid al Abraham, and did not get angry with Abraham. Because even though it's the same word in Hebrew, it was a different action, expressing a different emotion. Yes? I think the understanding is the discrepancy in those
2: translations
0: is the translation based on the consequence?
2: Like based on the discrepancy?
0: The reason I'm hesitating is, on the one hand, sort of obviously yes, but um, at the risk of sounding very sort of fundamentalist and sort of, I won't won't give another word, but you will see what I mean. Um, We hold that the reason Unculus is special is not just because it's very old. Uh, Unculus is basically the oldest commentary on the Torah that we have. Um, Unculus was a Tana, Um, story is he was the son or nephew of the Emperor Hadrian, he converted, Unculus Ager, but he was certainly from the Tanaitic period, and his Translation, like every translation, is also a payrush because the words he uses expresses his understanding of what the Hebrew words are saying. But the more traditional approach is that Targum Unculus goes back to Harsinai. Um, when the Torah was given, it was given in the form of the Khumish, and Targum Unculus was given at the same time. So that's one of the reasons, perhaps the reason, why great sanctity is given to Targum Unculus why we have to learn the parasha twice in the Hebrew and once in the Targum Onkelos, it's, it's right up there with the original Chumash. So what I'm trying to say is the, the translation is almost part of the Torah itself. When the word Yitzchak is used, we need the Targum by its side, that's why it's printed in the very next column to tell us what the word means. So I'm trying to get to the point of saying, I'm not gonna say it's just work backwards from the consequence, But Targum is telling us that's what the word means. Now, it also, Rashi brings this Targum, in this particular case, to explain explain the difference in the consequences. So I I would draw a distinction between why Targum translates it thus and why Rashi quotes the Targum. There's no doubt Rashi is quoting the Targum in order to answer the question. And the question, Rashi tells us what the question is of why the consequence is different. So Rashi alerts us to the Targum in order to explain that. But I'm suggesting that I don't think we can say for sure that the Targum works it out like that, because there is such an idea that the Targum isn't just working it out for himself, but is uh, based on a, either the Targum Unculus was given long before Unculus, which is perhaps an interesting little bit of an anachronism, or Unculus himself wrote the Targum based on a Masora, which went a long way back. Do you understand how I'm not quite accepting your premise?
2: Yes, yes, I
0: But that. certainly, I we that. can say of Rashi, he's quoting the Targum in order to answer the question of right. why there's a different concept. But then, I guess
2: you have got like, I, I, I appreciate that for some moment. Of um, courses, his translation in really high regard. Mm-hmm. And even like the closest to the other, but then, like, you ask then why. I mean, it's the significant, kind of course, why the Targum
0: Okay, well, having given a very sort of holy fundamentalist idea, I'll now resort to a much more pedestrian idea. As I said before, the nature of the Hebrew language is that the word sachok has got at least two connotations, which have the same word in Hebrew, but they happen to have different words in Aramaic. Okay? Okay. Um, then, I think we've just got time for this bit. Haleven. So the hay is a hay interrogative. So Rashi says yesh tmihut shahein kayamot." There is, tamiya is an expression of wonder or a question, um, which are those that are maintained. In other words, what Rashi means here is there are, you could ask, is it the case that, in the sense of how absurd, that's obviously impossible, or rather and i would translate it as is it not the case that something actually happens does it not actually happen if you get my distinction you can have a hey interrogative a tamia, uh, an expression of, of wonder to say surely that can't happen or you can have a hey interrogative saying surely that is the case um, and i think the best way to translate it into english is <coughs> is it not the case that and in this case, is it not the case that a hundred-year-old man is going to have a son? So Rashi says that's In other words, Rashi is making clear that Abraham is not questioning what Hashem has just promised. That can't make any sense, especially as Abraham, as sorry, Rashi has just said in the very previous comment that Abraham, Ma'amin, Abraham believed in a way that Sarah didn't. So having said that Abraham believed, it cannot be that Abraham is now questioning the bracha that he's just been promised. So therefore, halaven, me'a mayashana yilivalei does not mean. Can it mean? Can it be that a hundred-year-old man can give a child? Can have a child? Surely not. But rather, isn't it amazing that a hundred-year-old man is going to have a child? And he brings a couple of examples of to uh, mihot expressions of question of interrogative, which are things that you believe happen. Let's put it that way. Come on. So in Shmuel Bet, uh, sorry, Aleph, Hashem appears to Eli and says, did I not appear to your ancestors in Egypt? And the answer is yes. So there you have a hey asking a question, but the answer is absolutely yes. And there's an example from Yechezco where Hashem says, uh, uh, do you not see, I'm putting the word not, do you not see all these things that he's just seen in a vision? And again, the answer is yes, he does see. So, in both cases, you have a hey, which is an interrogative, but it's not to deny the validity of what's being said with a question mark, but rather to confirm the validity of what's being said with a question mark. Af zu So, this also is something that is enduring, is happening, is something that Abraham is saying is going to happen, but he is amazed that it's going to happen. Bakakh Omar and this is what Abraham said in his heart, has this chesed been done to anyone else? What Hashem is doing for me. Now notice how Rashi phrases it. Rashi's phraseology, has this chesed been done to anybody else, is making absolutely clear that Abraham is not denying that the chesed is going to be done to Abraham. There's no question at all so Abraham is taking as a given the way Rashi puts it, but the chesed is being done to Abraham. In which case, what's the question? Where is there any sort of interrogative at all? The answer is Abraham is saying, "Is how amazing is this chesed?" Question: Do we find any other precedent for this chesed? To that, the answer is no. But he's not questioning that the chesed is being done to he himself. That's why it's still an expression of Abraham believing and not Abraham disbelieving. But in order to make it into an interrogative and to some an expression of surprise, Avraham says, Do we find any precedent for this chesed? Has it been done to anybody else? The answer to that is no. So Avrashi has created a question to which the answer is no, but is not doubting the validity of the promise itself. Okay, we will stop there. We're in the middle of Pasig Zion. So the next week we will talk about the blessing, the, the equivalent question on Sarah giving birth at the age of 90. Are there any further questions? No? Okay, we'll stop recording. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you.